<laughs> you were saying? Welcome to episode 87 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Tonight, I am joined by the guy who has at least one thing in common with General John Hunt Morgan, and that is being a Freemason. I am his co-host, Mary, who, for obvious reasons, I am not a Freemason, but one day, I hope to be part of the Order of the Eastern Star. So, welcome, Darren. How are you? Definitely blackball you on that vote, but anyway, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? You blackball me? <laughs> of course, I wouldn't as far as you know. So, what's going on with that? What's what's going on today? Well, not too much. We're getting into one of our episodes, which we are focusing on a personality from the Civil War, which is pretty cool. We've been very battle-heavy lately, so it's good to get back into that. Mm-hmm. How are you? Yeah, it definitely is. Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. So, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. I thought we were going to do this one last week, but I got shoved to the side. For Aldi, which I'm glad we did that because that was a good one too. But I'm oh, very I'm excited to talk about this one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, how are you? <laughs> anyway, I would be a shitty co-host if I didn't ask you. What are you drinking and from what mug? Although, oh my God, viewers... thanks for asking, Mary. I'm drinking, it's called Zeus King of Gods. And I'm drinking out of my Freemason mug because as you said, um, this is an episode involving a guy who is a Freemason. So now since I will return the favorite to you, what are you drinking? I am drinking... Uh, Northern Lights Hazy IPA by Bob Cajun Brewing Company. And I chose Northern Lights because the guy we're going to be talking about, John Hunt Morgan, he is allegedly the guy that made it into like the most northern invasion into the Union. And that was in Ohio. I am drinking it out of my first Kansas colored volunteer infantry mug, which the awesome John LaRoe sent us. And I'm drinking out of that because mm-hmm. we just had Juneteenth recently. So, and I have no mm-hmm. Calvary related or John Hunt Morgan mugs or Freemason mugs. So I thought that was the next best, best thing to go with, which was Juneteenth. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. So not St. Albans though, furthest north, it's Ohio. We'll just, we'll roll. Okay. With I guess St. Albans then. I don't know. I think it was, <laughs> un- it was uniformed, uniformed. <laughs> okay. We're going to get hit over that now. Oh, no, you will. I mean, I'm going to sit back here as usual. I agree with everybody. So as, as you were saying, Mary, you know, we've been talking horses and battles lately. And so we decided we're going to try to stay in the saddle. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. For this episode again. And tonight we're going to talk about one of the more colorful characters in the Civil War, a guy they call the Thunderbolt of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. That, of course, being the infamous rebel cavalier from Kentucky, John Hunt Morgan. He's born in Huntsville, Alabama, but he identifies with his mother's home Kentucky. state. Of Kentucky. Most people know him from that famous raid. We're going to talk a little about that. About that. That scared the crap out of people in Indiana and Ohio. Um, but his life really is right out of a movie. We're going to talk about that from his raid to his capture, from his escape from that Ohio jail to his death. John Hunt Morgan is one is the one of a type guy that is such a fascinating study. Right? Mm-hmm. He's fearless. He's tough. But he's also you know he's also sympathetic uh, and very kind to his men and to the Union men. He took his responsibilities of Freemasonry, as you mentioned, very, very seriously. And, but he drove the Union generals crazy with his brashness. You know, and as much as much attention as Jeb Stewart gets, you know, Morgan was the very image of a Southern cavalier. You know, he always wore that spotless uniform, wore those boots high. And he, he was worshipped in the South um, through songs and stories. I mean, he's somebody who, when you you know, you know think of about a cavalier, John Hunter Morgan quickly should come to mind. A bit about his early life. His father was, like, he owned land and business in Kentucky eventually because they had to move from Alabama. 
when in 1831 his father lost their home there so they moved to Lexington where his father would manage his father-in-law's large farms his mm-hmm. father passes away and then his mother really starts helping uh, Morgan with his kind of his business ventures and all that he attends Transylvania College for two years and he's suspended in 1844 for du- dueling with one of his fraternity brothers Morgan was actually part of a fraternity there mm-hmm. I think it's called the Adelphi Society and he got into a duel one day and the college apparently suspended him and there's this one box about Morgan which is a little bit I want to say lost cause where it says like you know Morgan had the option to go back but he just chose not to kind of thing because that was kind of the southern way to do things and he wanted to prove himself um, he's mm-hmm. the brother-in-law of AP Hill and Basil W. Duke we're going to be hearing more about Duke in this episode because he's actually one of Morgan's men. Duke is an officer in the Confederate States Army. He's Morgan's second in command, and he will write a popular account of Morgan's most famous raid as well. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned his family. You know, he's also the grandson of a John Wesley Hunt, who was mm-hmm. a local millionaire um, who founds a Lexington, Kentucky, of all things. Um, he descended from a Revolutionary War hero, a guy named Daniel Morgan. You know, you mentioned you know Transylvania College, and it's funny, you know, there's a lot of Civil War people who, you know, who went there. You know, obviously Jefferson Davis yeah. went there. John C. Breckenridge went there. Blair, old Preston Blair went there. And also, I don't know if you know this, Mary, but the star of Deliverance, the great, the great Ned Beatty went there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. So it's a school. It's kind of funny. But you mentioned that he had himself in some trouble with some dueling. But a couple of years later, he would become a Freemason, okay? And this is going to be in the Davies Lodge, number 22 in Lexington, Kentucky. He's going to take those values for the rest of his life. We'll talk about that off and on. It's right around this time, probably 1846 or so, when he is going to sign up with one of his brothers, uh, Calvin Morgan, as well as his uncle Alexander in the army. Now, he's going to join the cavalry right out of the war uh, with Mexico. It's right when they're kind of, the war is kind of getting underway. He joins this. You know, John Morgan, he, he really took to that role pretty quickly, and he rose to the rank of lieutenant. You know, in Mexico, he battled, he fought in the Battle of Bonavista, and he would see his first combat. You know, the war ended in less than two years, and, you know, Morgan kind of found himself kind of looking for something to do back mm-hmm. in Kentucky again, relived his life. And, you know, I think he finally got a, he got a taste of what he wanted to do, but then suddenly it was kind of over. So he kind of did what most people do. He sat around, he drank, he gambled. You know, he mm-hmm. tried his luck with the ladies. You know, yeah, he did everything. Yeah, he enjoyed the ladies. He certainly did. He also got involved in the slave trade, and he became mm-hmm. a man- manufacturer of hemp. Okay, so yep. there you go. Okay. Well, that was one of um, the most, um, like, it was one of the more prominent crops in the area of Kentucky that he lived in. Yeah, and he, he is going to settle down a little bit. He's going to meet a woman named Rebecca Bruce, the sister of his business partner. And, of course, they soon got married. In 1853, Rebecca's going to get pregnant, but she's going to lose the baby at birth. Uh, it was stillborn, and she's going to come down with this weird affliction called milk leg, yeah, it's which like, is basically a, like a blood clot in the vein, but it led to her losing her leg. And they grew really distant after that, and Morgan is a gambler and a womanizer, so I don't think that kind of helped his case with his wife either. And he apparently had a son with one of his slaves, um, and the son's name was Sidney Morgan. We'll talk about him later on, too, because he, it's kind of an ironic thing with him, how that plays itself mm-hmm. out. You know, through most of, you know, the, the businessman at this time of his life, John Morgan, you know, he still has that itch to join the military. He had that two-year taste yep. in Mexico. And this is one of those political tensions in, uh, in Kent, Kentucky were really kind of spilling over over secession and slavery. He's going to he's gonna create his own independent company of infantry called the Lexington Rifles, right? The thing about him is interesting because Morgan's devotion was 100% of the South. I mean, 100%. Mm-hmm. But when talk of secession came up in war, he wasn't really kind of with it. He was no. kind of neutral. 
He definitely remained neutral overall, as did Kentucky. He probably did not share the opinion of his governor, the famous Bariah Egg McGoffin, we've talked about many, many times, because he thought that attitude, you know, his attitude should stay with the South. But he's going to write his brother, actually, his brother Thomas, soon after Abraham Lincoln married the president, he's going to get elected. And uh, he's going to write, our state will not, I hope, secede. And I have no doubt, but Lincoln will make a good president. At least we ought to give him a shot. And then if he commits some overt acts, all the South will be a unit. So what is he saying here? You know, Morgan's saying, well, we don't like him, but we have to get around him, which is kind of the mature attitude you have. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the attitude Kentucky had. Like, I think, you know, just from the episodes that we've done about Kentucky before, like we had um, looked at some of the how things were at secession in that state. And it was, you know, it was very divided, but you had people like Morgan who did own slaves but they were like yeah we we don't want to secede you know we want things to keep going how they are so there are people like morgan in that state and that's why it's so divided it's a very strange state in that regard but unfortunately that overt act that morgan was kind of saying as long as he doesn't do it that does happen though Mm -hmm. because that overt act is going to happen when he's and he's going to change his mind this is going to be when his hometown of kentucky uh, is going to be occupied by federal troops. That was kind of the line in the sand. He's like, the hell with this. At that point, Morgan's going to close his business. He's going to fly a Confederate flag from his factory. He's going to gather those Lexington rifles. And, and they all went to Bowling Green, which is a, like a secession capital, right? Mm-hmm. And they saw signed up for the Confederate Army. Now, even before they officially joined the Army, Morgan and, and his raiders there are going to quickly kind of become a cramp in the dick of those Union occupiers, <laughs> they right? Are. Yeah. Right? I mean, I mean, at this point, he's a captain, and Morgan's going to lead nightly raids into Union lines. He's going to burn bridges, yeah. destroy railroads, and just cause overall mayhem. You know, the Beetlejuice stuff we talk about. Yeah. Now, now, it's funny, is John Morgan, and he went by John Morgan. The hunt came later, you know, but he went by John Morgan. He quickly gained a strong reputation in the South already, and he had that knack of terrorizing those federal troops riding back to Bowling Green. So he's already kind of getting a reputation as someone who the South is kind of rallying around as one of their own, who's just, mm-hmm. who's just kicking ass, and they just love it. Well, he seems you know? like the typical Southern guy. Like these, they, It talks a lot, like just this Southern gentleman thing. It, it seems like Morgan has that, you know, he knows how to ride a horse. He knows how to shoot a rifle when he was growing up. Like he was always out on horses. He was always doing you know hunting doing target practice so he had all that that you would expect of a cavalry guy but you made a remark that he he's like the poor man's jeb stewart right he's not riding around with a feather in his hat sorry jeb stewart fans but a diva right he is just this grassroots individual who i think the people of kentucky and people who knew about him could relate to in that way absolutely you know after bowling green is going to get captured by the union morgan goes into tennessee where he's going to raise that second kentucky cavalry which, of course, he'll be the colonel of in early 1862. Within a week after that, he's going to find himself fighting at the Battle of Shiloh, Mary. Perhaps you've heard of that one. You know, at at Shiloh, Morgan's 2nd Kentucky is going to be attached to Robert Trebu's 1st Infantry Mm -hmm. and, and that Reserve Corps commanded by John C. Breckinridge. And he's going to have some, he'll have some success there. Yeah, he will. So it's during the retreat that Morgan tries to go after McClernand's retreating troops. He's attacking on the orders of General Hardy. He gets attacked by the Federals, and Morgan just orders his troops to charge. They go in after the Federals into the woods, and they lose, because it's the woods, they're going to lose all their formation. They still manage to put up quite a fight, and this is kind of, you know, this the prequel to what we're going to see on Morgan's raid, right? These guys that are pretty hard-fighting men. Morgan's men don't falter. And the fighting is a real, I can only describe it as a clusterfuck. Morgan's men are basically hacking and slashing at the Federals. Um, they have to use, they're using pistols, shotguns, bayonets, you know, whatever. Fridays. 
yeah hockey sticks if you're from canada <laughs> it seems like everything he does is being noticed by the southern press yeah. right you know he's getting that notoriety you know he he led a full cavalry charge of that regiment like you said right into the teeth of that union of that union army he's brash he's flashy he's not arrogant it seems but he just no. like, like your point is a good point the people just relate to him for yep. whatever reason you know, after Shiloh, it's going to be that preview of things to come. We kind of talk about that with now Colonel Morgan. There's 900 men going that three-week raid into Kentucky and, um, and showed that he had that cocky style to kind of go along with the balls, yep. kind of. He, did, he just nice. kind of did. <laughs> well, he, but, he, but he did, though. And as he did it, he got more and more notoriety. That three-week raid, this is kind of like the baby raid compared to the big one he's going to do later. Yeah, this is he's like kind re- of, um, if you want to compare it to something in the Union, it's like Sherman's Meridian campaign, which is small-scale no. lo- small scale march to the sea. This is Morgan getting ready for his big raid. Yeah, so this is a three-week raid that's going to go into the Savannah of, of General Don Carlos Buell of his army. It's going to net over a thousand captured Union men and horses, as well as a shit ton of destroyed supplies. The real goal, though, was was the fear that Morgan sent throughout Kentucky that resonated all the way to Washington. Yeah. So it created a long pucker effect. Okay. Morgan's men rode five hundred miles in his fourteen days. You know, not only did he destroy supplies, his men robbed banks. They looted the Food King and other stores. <laughs> even king. from those that, even from those that were owned by Confederate sympathizers, they raided those yeah. stores too. You know, despite his effort to maintain his role as that chivalrous Confederate officer and cavalier, his men grew more and more hostile with the destruction as it went. It got more and more stupid. In the North, the press vilified Morgan, calling him one of the greatest scoundrels that ever went unhung, they called him. Wow. Okay. Well, and that, a, that you know. I wonder, I kind of wonder how that made Jeb Stewart feel because there was one historian that noted that Morgan's feet in many ways surpassed Jeb Stewart celebrated right around McClellan. So you got to wonder if Jeb Stewart's saying anything like, who is this guy? But to your point with what this did, you know, in the North and in the South, um, especially the North for like morale and kind of that pucker effect. I'm pretty sure Morgan probably knew about that. And I think he, as we're going to see, I think he, that that is somewhat of what he used and was thinking of in the big raid that he does and why he makes the decisions mm-hmm. that he does in that raid. Well, Stuart had the military background. He was, you know, for the Lee going back way back. Yeah. Morgan came out of nowhere. Exactly. I mean, he just, you, know, you know, he was, you know, as much as he was vilified in the Northern press, he was glorified, like I mentioned before, in the Southern press. Yep. But the one thing that he did, the upper levels of that rebel military started to get a little itchy about him mm-hmm. and they started to grow because of the lack of discipline in his men. Yeah. Um, but his, his raid did prove to them that he, he, his men had spirit, you know, that's kind of what he did. You know, if you remember, we did the previous battle of um, an episode of Perryville. Yeah. I don't know. There was, you probably thought this long ago. You probably long forgot about that right now. Mm-hmm. The relative ease Morgan had rolling into Kentucky set the stage of, of old friend Braxton Braggs and, and Edmund Kirby's offensive into that state later in the year. Remember how he got there easy and they said, well, if he can do it, we can do it, right? Yeah. When he captured the town of Lexington, he captured the Kentucky town of Somerset, okay, that town just south of Lexington and just north of the Tennessee border. This is, where, this is what I love about Morgan, okay, is the storms. He captures them. He sends three messages Okay, which is the 19th century version of trash talk. He just does. Okay, so after he catches, he captures this town of Somerset. He sits down. The first one he writes is a guy named George Prentice. Okay, 
George Prentice was the editor of the Louisville Journal and a strong proponent of keeping Kentucky neutral and out of the fight. So on July 22nd, 1862, John Morgan's going to write to him, good morning, George. I'm quietly watching the complete destruction of all of Uncle Sam's property in this little burg. I regret exceedingly that this is the last that shall come under my supervision on this route. I expect in a short time to pay you a visit and wish to know if you will be at home. All is well in Dixie, your friend, John Morgan. Wow. Okay. So they, but wait, there's more. Okay. He writes, a sec- <laughs> he writes a second letter. Okay. Same time to a guy named Jeremiah Boyle. Now, this is the Union Military Governor of Kentucky. So he's, he's in a right mood. He's going to write, good morning, Jerry, said a Jeremiah. This telegraph is a great institution. You should destroy it as it keeps you too well posted. My friend Ellsworth has all your dispatches since the 10th of July on file. Do you wish copies? Your friend, John Morgan. Oh my God. So he's talking about lightning Ellsworth, who is like his telegraph boy. So he's sitting there saying, we got all your stuff. If you want copies, you can have them. We got them, okay? The third one is the George Washington Dunlop. He's a pro-union U.S. rep from Kentucky. And he's going to write, Honorable George Dunlop, just completed my tour through Kentucky, captured 17 cities, destroyed millions of dollars worth of union property, passed through your country, but regret not seeing you. We paroled 1,500 rebel prisoners, your friend, John Morgan. So he's basically saying stuff he did, and he's giving him the finger saying, hey, look what I did. Yep. And he's sending the letters, which is fantastic. When that you really is amazing. Like, did... You know? did- is there reports of like Jeb Stewart doing anything like that? I, I have no I have no idea. But 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 he what he's doing, he's he's kind of setting this cult of personality. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like these these movies, they leave the, the villain leaves the, the calling card, the Joker or something like that. He's, he's like, look what I did, you know. And just the way he he addresses them is hilarious, you know. Morgan's personality is, is going to make him extremely popular with his own men, promising them action and loot and fun. Because yeah. you can only imagine how it must have been. Well, he's very he's, much like you look at pictures of him. He's this kind of gruff looking guy who clearly would have fit in with his men, you know, and I think that's why he was so popular. People can relate to him. They probably looked at him and like, yeah, he looks like somebody, you know, I would see walking down the street, you know, not not dressed up all fancy, oh. right? It was a big game to him. He was generous, even to generous to the union men he caught. Yep. When he caught them, he would simply disarm them and parole them. Yeah. It was a big de- that's I got you. Okay, fine, now go. That's that's all it was. It was it was just a lot of fun. He was also, like we said, very fond of the women. Okay, as you can imagine. Yes. He liked to charm them. Even the wives of union soldiers. Now, there was this one time he stopped the train and he captured a bunch of union troops while they were riding with their with their wives on this train, okay? Here's what he does. He captures them, but then he promises their wives not to worry as they will not be harmed. But then you know what he does? He takes off his white gloves and offers his hand to all of them so they can kiss it to thank him for not hurting their husbands. Oh so he goes God. right down the train. That's what he does. So sometimes you just got to tip your hat to these people. Jesus. But that's, that, that's what he does, <laughs> right? So, He's... so he did. Wow. So this first little raid he does, he, he does it all. He cuts the telegraph lines. He destroys railroads. He sends fake messages to the Union to confuse them. At times, Morgan's men would be they'd pretend to be Union troopers yep. just to get intel from their pursuers. They were really, really good, right? You know, in the fall when Bragg did his offensive, which led to that uh, that drawn Perry, Perry bill we talked about, which spelled really the end of the hopes of capturing Kentucky for mm-hmm. the Confederacy, Morgan's efforts still... Prop was propped by the Southern press. They all chanted Morgan victorious. 
Um, that's what they said when they, when they pushed their Southern papers. This is despite Bragg's failure. So you can see now, no matter what happens, M Morgan was, was going to get credit for the good he did. And, you know, what, what the press loved about John Hunt Morgan was his balls and his flash, which yeah. the South described as romantic and daring feats of the days of knighthood and chivalry. He's the right? perfect guy That's to write up. He's the perfect guy to write about for boosting morale and all that. Like to say, like, look what this guy's doing. Look how he's kind of humiliating the union here. Like, look at what we oh, can he do. was. He does sort of settle down, though. Morgan yep. is famous in the South by now. He's a superstar. He's a rock star, right? Everybody knows who he is. And he was still famous with the ladies. But one woman who caught his eye was a woman named Maddie Reddy, the daughter of a former Tennessee mm -hmm. Congressman Charles Reddy Jr. Okay. Now, this is a funny story, too. Reddy Jr. is going to quit his position when Tennessee seceded. Now, Congressman Reddy wanted the rebel cavalier to marry his daughter early in 1862 when, when, he met the, when he met Morgan. So he sends a message to his daughter who recently turned down a marriage proposal from a guy named an Illinois congressman named Samuel Marshall. And the congressman messages the daughter through, basically through a slave and says, the famous Captain Morgan is coming. Tell Maddie that Captain Morgan is a widower and a little sad. I want her to sing for him. What a pimp. He's pimping off his he's daughter pimping. to John because, Hunt Morgan is what he's doing. And the widower thing is because his first wife had passed away on July the 21st, 1861. The one from the, with the milk leg. Yeah. So she, you know, she's going to die. So he's going to, he's going to do that, you know, and, um, you know, Morgan and Maddie, okay, they met and it didn't take long until they were ready to marry, mm -hmm, right? <laughs> and, and and this this was a, like the big social event of the season, right? Yeah. And it was scheduled for December of 1862 at Ready Mansion, not far from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is a few weeks before a battle that was about to happen yeah, down there, right? Yeah, it was for Stones River. We actually talked about this wedding in our Stones mm -hmm. River episode because all the Confederate officers went to it except one. Patrick Claiborne did not go to it, even though Hardy was like, you should come to it. And he's like, no, nah, I'm going to stay back. Oh, it's, so it's pretty funny. And, you know, the thing about it is you mentioned the kindness that Morgan showed. OK, now well, what happens is he's going to show this towards his men at his wedding. Now, while this wedding's going on, you mentioned all the rebel officers who were there. OK, they're going to have to place soldiers around the mansion to guard this. OK, because this is a this will be a big target. There's a war going on. Stones River is right on the corner and Rosecrans. There's a lot going on right in that area, okay? During the wedding, it's December, okay? It's cold. The soldiers on guard duty are huddled around a fire. They're kind of miserable. Although it was cold, okay, they were still thought it was cool. They were guarding the thunderbolt of the Confederacy's wedding. All right, well, this sucks, yeah. but at least we're doing this. While the wedding's going on, Morgan's going to send... Um, is, is going to send an officer, okay, from the 2nd Kentucky to bring the men guarding the wedding a platter full of wedding cake and a jars of whiskey. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's, and, and he has a note, personal compliments of the general. So he's thanking wow. him for guarding his wedding, which is pretty, pretty cool. The whiskey gets passed around and one man, a guy named Andrew Campbell. Remember that name. Okay. Yeah. Andrew Campbell. He was happy to get the cake, but he still was pissed that he had to do this. He just grumbled. He wrote in his, he quotes, no more to me than I am to him. Campbell complained, you know, basically what he did. At that point, one of the officers present says, that's because you never rode with Morgan. If you knew him, by God, you would salute his very hoof prints. So let's drink to his health. And Campbell kind of rolls his eyes and says, okay, fine. Here's for the bride then. And if I ever should meet Morgan, I will salute him or by God, shake his hand. Okay. Remember that story later. Yeah. Okay. Despite all the all this um, misgivings from that rebel hierarchy, Braxton Bragg, for the most part, gave the okay for Morgan 
to take his men again into the north for another raid, okay? Mm-hmm. This is the one that's going to go down as Morgan's raid. This is the big boy, okay? And it's one that's going to be brash, and it's going to be launched on a much larger scale, and it's going to have much more of a military reason for it as well. Yeah, and that's because at this time, so this is launched, you know, spring, summer, 1863, you have Vicksburg happening, you have Gettysburg, you have Tullahoma campaign, all this different stuff is happening as Morgan is doing this. And it's going to be the largest military campaign conducted in the state of Indiana during the Civil War, because that is going to be one of the states that Morgan goes to. But he's ordered by General Braxton Bragg, who's leading the Army of Tennessee. His plan was to draw Union cavalry north into Kentucky, hopefully impede the advance on Chattanooga by General Rosecrans and the Army of the Cumberland, and also try to draw Union troops away from the east. And when I read this, I thought of a parallel with the Union. This is exactly what Sherman was trying to do with his March to the Sea. He was trying to draw troops from the East, make them scared for their families, and draw them back south to desert from Lee's army. Yeah, Morgan and Sherman are doing similar things here. Yeah, I mean, the big thing you got to remember, you know, you just mentioned Grant's got his Vicksburg campaign going. Yeah. Lee's about to go into Pennsylvania. So if he can cause mayhem in the north, if he can piss off the Copperheads and get them going against the war still, but more important, if he can draw troops away from both of those armies, it's going to be a win-win. So yeah. Morgan's going to handpick 2,460 troopers, okay? And he was under strict orders by Braxton Bragg. Yeah. And this is important. And Joseph that Wheeler, that what, too. Wheeler's and, like, right, Joseph right. Wheeler's involved with this as well. He's like, whatever the hell you do, he says, do not cross the Ohio River. He goes, you can do whatever you want, okay? But you got to stay. You cannot cross the river, okay? And Morgan's like, okay, well, we'll he's see like, about okay, that. okay, so Dad, Mor- as he's like yeah. shaking his head. So Morgan's raid's going to begin on June, uh, June 11th, 1863, and those raiders are going to leave Sparta, Tennessee. And again, they're hoping to draw that diversion, draw troops away uh, from the Ar- Army of Ohio and maybe generate some pro-Southern support in that area as well. Now, Though we had the orders from Bragg not to, you know, to, to, to go into Kentucky again, you know, Morgan really told his men, hey, I want to cross the Ohio freaking river, okay? Yep. He knows it's against orders. He wants to invade Indiana and Ohio and cause that mass freakout in the north. Now, he knew that Bragg gave him carte blanche to do whatever the hell he wanted in Tennessee and Kentucky. And, you know, and, and next week we're going to talk about the Tullahoma campaign yeah. and how this raid kind of occurs on the eve of it and how it plays into it a little bit. On July 2nd, what, a couple of weeks later, if they're on the move. Now, this is the same day Longstreet, James Longstreet's doing his echelon attack at Gettysburg, okay? Yeah. Morgan's raiders are going to ride into Kentucky where they were welcomed as absolute heroes by the pro-Southern citizens, okay? They're going to get to a place called Burksville, Kentucky, which is just north of the Tennessee border. And on July 4th, they're going to look to cross the Green River at a place called Tebbs Bend. Now, Tebbs Bend is going to be guarded by five companies, about 200 guys, okay? I should say a boot to 200 guys, okay? (laughs) Of the 25th Michigan, led by a guy named Colonel Orlando Moore. The Michiganders, Michigan men, they're guarding the Lebanon, Campbellsville, Columbia Turnpike, okay? Which was the road that was a direct shot to Louisville and right along Morgan's path. Again, you're talking 2,000 guys now going up against about 200, okay? So the math doesn't work out too well for uh, for more of those Michigan men, right? It's like they're playing Ohio State again. I hate to say it, but it's kind of Ooh. reality, right? Hey, but, uh, but Michigan won. I know, I know. I'm glad. Thank God for that. But, yeah. but you know, is entrenched behind earthworks. And early in the morning on July 4th, those Federals 
are going to begin firing on Morgan's approaching guys. Okay. Now, again, you're talking four, maybe five to one odds against you. Okay. If you're the union guys. Okay. So they really had no chance. What Morgan's going to do here is going to split his men and send about 400 troopers under Colonel Adam Johnson, who's going to basically run right through Moore's entrenchments. But Moore's guys are actually able to hold their own. They push, they push these guys back about eight times back and forth yep. into the point where, where Morgan says, you know what the hell with this? This is not freaking worth it. It's not worth it. And they, they call a truce um, so that Morgan can go collect his wounded and bury his dead. And you've got to wonder if just how hard fighting these union guys are this early in the campaign, that it's because they've read about Morgan in the papers. They know who he is and they're just, they're like, fuck, it doesn't matter if we're outnumbered. We are going to fight this guy and we're going to fight it to the very last because Moore and his men fight very, very hard here. Yeah, I mean, Morgan's going to have to, even though he has those big number of advantages, he's going to have to withdraw south and he's going to have to cross the river at a place called Johnson Ford. So he's going to get across, though, of course. Now, this battle with Tebbs is going to be the beginning of a bunch of skirmishes that Morgan's going to have with these Federals. And he'll find himself on another one the very next day on July 5th, this time in a place called Lebanon, Kentucky. And this is going to have a very personal effect on Morgan this time, this Mm -hmm. specific battle. Now, in Lebanon, Morgan is going to discover that there's a federal garrison containing about 400 guys. This is from the 20th Kentucky under Colonel Charles Hansen. Okay. And he's seeing Morgan's 2,400 guys, his, his men approaching, and he's going to try to set up some kind of defense. Okay. Again, 2,400-ish versus about 400. Again, the numbers, you know, don't don't play itself well for, uh, for Hansen and his, his, his Kentucky guys. Now, Morgan's going to see this, and he's going to immediately demand Hansen's surrender and just avoid the shit show. He's like, listen, this is not going to end well. Just quit, please. Hansen's going to say no, and what's going to result is the Battle of Lebanon, okay? Hansen's men are going to get driven back through the town, and they're going to barricade themselves in like a, the Louisville and Nashville Railroad Depot, kind of like a big building they're going to force themselves into, right? Hansen and Kentucky Union guys are going to hold out for about six hours until the numbers just force them to surrender. The personal side for Morgan is this, is during this exchange back and forth with Hansen guys, his brother Thomas Morgan is going to be killed here. Yeah. And this is going to be a big personal loss for John. He loses his brother here, which is just like Forrest loses his brother during a battle mm-hmm. as well. But Morgan, you know, it it's war, you know, whatever. He doesn't have time to mourn his brother. Like he's basically got to keep going, right? Well, he does. He's going to take the surrender of the garrison. Yeah. He's going to disarm them. He's going to, he's going to parole them all immediately like he tends to do. But he's going to send about set about twenty buildings on fire in Lebanon. Just burn the thing down. Got to wonder if now, that's more angry. Well, he's clearly dealing with the loss of his brother, and now he's on the Union Army's radar big time yeah. too, right? So he's going to keep the band moving towards Louisville. Now they're going to bump heads with some Kentucky militia along the way, but they kept kind of riding. And they're aiming right for the Ohio River. Now, the one thing he did well in this raid was keeping the Union guessing of where he was going, he, right? He did. He he does so well with that. Um, so when he's at Springfield, Morgan sends a small detachment north and east of Louisville just to try and confuse the Federals. This detachment crossed the Ohio River at 12 Mile Island, but they end up getting captured in Indiana before they could join Morgan again. But still, they're confusing him. The other thing he does is he's going to really screw with the Union by using his this guy, Lightning Ellsworth, his telegrapher, to tap the telegraph lines and pretend to be the Union to send messages, including inflating the numbers of Morgan's men. They, you know, He's like, they're as high as 7,000. Again, going back to the March to the Sea, this is something that Sherman did as well. That's why he had a right wing and a left wing, because he would have them, he would think the right wing 
led by Howard is going to faint one way. The left wing led by Slocum is going to go the other way because he wants to confuse the hell out of the, the Confederates. Morgan is doing something similar here to confuse the hell of the Union as to where he's going. And George George Ellsworth, when he, he drives him crazy. He yep. sends those fake troop numbers. He orders pizzas from the White House. He does all the all the pranks <laughs> he does, Could right? you imagine you know? <laughs> ordering pizzas? To, better yet would be ordering a Ding stripper. Dong. No, better oh, yet would be ordering a stripper to the White House. Oh, I'm sure Mary Lincoln. Could you imagine? I'm sure, I'm sure she got along with that pretty well, you know. <laughs> old Julia Dent showing up, you know. But he, but, but, he, but he's gonna, but he's going to drive the Union guys crazy, right? And you know, and oh, by the way, Mary, guess where Ellsworth is from? He's from freaking Canada. Is Surprise, he? Okay. He, so he probably stole some poor guy's Abner Small diary too, as a matter of fact. But that's not a story. But he did. He was from. He's a Canadian. So there you go. Okay. Now. The other thing that that's my God is John John Hunt Morgan. He he really counted on the support was Northern Copper, as we mentioned too, right? Yep. So he's going to send a spy named Thomas Hines, okay, across in that small entourage posing as federal troops. And you kind of hinted this a few minutes ago with, with this little raid they did, right? They're going to go meet. They want to go over and meet a guy named Doctor William Bowles, okay? Now he was like the 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 king of the Copperheads in Indiana, yep. and they want to go over there and find out what the scoop is. Unfortunately for the Confederates under Hines, a spy, he quickly finds out that it isn't going to work out for him and the Reb. Yep. They have to run for their lives. And they're going to disappear for about a week until they could find their way back to Morgan. So whatever the hell happens, they just, you know, they weren't having it. Hines is going to join them in the town of Brandenburg, Kentucky, right along the Ohio River. Now, in Brandenburg, Morgan's guys, they're going to hotwire a couple of boats here, okay? Yep. The John B. McCombs and the Alice Dean. They're going to take those boats, and this is where the orders get broken, Mary. They go against direct orders of Bragg, and they're going to take those boats to cross the Raiders across the Ohio River. So there you go. Yeah, and they do that. Um, but you know, the Union is, they are ready for them because they've got gunboats there and everything else. They've got men waiting for them. But Morgan has still made things really difficult for them because the Federals don't really know where to go. And at this time, like the Federals that they're facing are General Burnside, who's commanding the Department of the Ohio. He's based in Cincinnati. And then the naval gunboats on the Ohio River are commanded by Lieutenant Commander Leroy Fitch. And then Indiana Legions and the state militia is commanded by Governor Oliver P. Morton. And he, when he finds out more, like Morgan is riding around, he manages to raise all these military companies throughout the, the south half of the state, takes them to rail by Morgan's likely target. So the union Union is on to him big time. And you got to wonder if it's, yeah, the, pre- it's the press, right? Because the press right. is doing this. They're reading about the, all his names in the papers. The Northern Press is writing about him too. You know, Governor Oliver Morton, you know, he's going to put out that call for any able-bodied guys. And they're not going to get the best guys. I mean, the, 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 most of the guys are fighting. Yeah. The Home Guard, you mentioned, on the command of Colonel Lewis Jordan. Basically, it meet into the beginning of Morgan's troops on July 9th in the town of Corydon, okay? Yeah. In Indiana, needless to say, these Indiana guys get driven back, you know, very, very quickly. They last about as long as a road beer in your car on a hot day. Not long. Okay. 30 seconds. (laughs) If that, okay. (laughs) Now, now Morgan's going to capture about 350 local militia before paroling them, which is, again, his custom. He demands cash from the town as a ransom. His men continue to move and torment towns such as Dumont, uh, Dupont, I mean, Salem, uh, Versailles. Um, now, in DuPont on July 12th, this is this is a fun story, too, okay? Morgan's going to burn many of the town's warehouses, and he's gonna, his men are going to steal 2,000 smoked hams. Yeah, but okay? that does not work and, out well for them. Right, because they go bad, okay? And so because the hams start to attract flies, they start dropping the hams, okay? 
And what resulted in the trail of hams, guess what the Union Army did to follow where they were going? They just followed the hams. It's like some I guess screwed were, up version of Hansel and Gretel. I guess they were a bacon to get caught. But anyway, that's what they were doing, right? So they just said, follow the hams. Okay, we're following the hams, okay? And so by now, the North is kind of in a big freak out, in a big mode. It, it, they're, just, they're just going. You know, the newspapers in the North and the South, they're following Morgan's Ray with every move. You can only imagine Lincoln, you know? You know, General Burnside, oh, like you said, he he's in charge. Like, like... Burnside's in charge of the Department of, of Ohio. Um, he's going to put Cincinnati under martial law. He's going to order all the businesses closed as they kind of await for the arrival of Morgan. I mean, you could just see how the freak out was. So with Cincinnati in, you know, in full freak out mode, the Southern press is loving it. They're all over Morgan. He was called the Galleon Kentucky Ranger. The Richmond papers cried, we need more Morgans. I mean, he was, he was doing everything, you know. Yeah. Now, when Morgan continues to move to the Northeast, he's going to arrive in the town of Versailles. Looks like Versailles, but it's pronounced Versailles. Okay, there you go. Okay. Or Versailles. So, I don't know. Versailles, okay. Versailles. But who, who knows? But here Morgan's going to get pissed off when he finds out that some of his men have looted the Versailles Masonic Lodge and stole some of their stuff. I know what they stole, okay? They stole stuff. stuff. When he found out about it, he punished the men and did what he did. He returned all the stolen stuff back to the lodge again. So again, he took Freemasonry very, very seriously with this. Even in, a, in the heat of battle, he said, nope. He got the stuff back. He imprisoned the men. He, he just, we ain't having that. So he took care, he took care of, of the lodge, right? It was on July 13th, where the feds are right on his ass, that Morgan's going to slide out of Indiana and into Ohio. You know what Morgan said when he entered Ohio? He said, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villain. That's what he said as he entered Ohio. <laughs> did, did That's he what really? he did. That's amazing. No, yeah, yeah he's exactly <laughs> what he said. It's exactly what he said when he stood there and looked over and saw Ohio, okay? Now, when the men got into Ohio, they continued to do what they did. They destroyed railroads and bridges, the usual stuff, probably knowing that Cincinnati was, was fortified to the point that the only thing that could beat that town was probably the L.A. Rams at that point, realistically. Whoa. Morgan, well, it's true, though. Morgan chose, instead of hitting Cincinnati, to go around it, okay? And that's what he does. He continues to move east, looking to cross into now West Virginia, okay? Yeah. It's Virginia, but then I mean, it was West Virginia now, but it was but it was Virginia back then. And the plan here is he wants to connect with these guys. That's ultimately what he wants to do, right? Just north of Ravenswood, again in, in modern day West Virginia, Morgan's gonna is gonna discover that there was a crossable ford at a place called Buffington Island, okay? And this is gonna allow him and his men to get into that state of Virginia, okay? Unfortunately for Morgan, Burnside mm -hmm. knew this time. He sniffed out this plan, okay? Burnside's actually pretty good here the union really are on morgan's ass in this the whole time they want him they want him badly they want him and burnside, gone. burnside figured he's probably gonna have to cross at buffington that's what he's sort of thinking you gotta so burnside, wonder if this is burnside's kind of redemption after fredericksburg that he's trying well, to redeem well himself be. he did very well here okay now burnside is going to tend send 10 gunboats under leroy fitz you mentioned up the Ohio River, as well as some infantry troops under Edward Hobson and Henry Judah, and some cavalry under August uh, Coutts, okay? Now, he's going to be ready for Morgan in Buffington when he gets there, okay? The federal troops aren't going to arrive. This is, this is where it goes wrong. The federal troops aren't going to arrive right away, and the ford was defended by some local guys from Marietta, Ohio. When Morgan got to this ford on the 18th, it was dark, so he halted. Now, this is, a, this is, this is the great halt for Morgan here, okay? Mm -hmm. This is going to be bad news for Morgan, because he probably could have got right through right then, but he waited, okay? And guess what happens the next morning? I mean, the early morning of the 19th when he goes to cross. 
All those union guys are there. Yeah. Coutts and Judah are going to attack Morgan just north of that of a small town of Portland. Soon those 3,000 Union troops, are, they're all over Morgan's 1,800 or so remaining men. These guys are tired and been raiding for over a month at this point, right? Now, two Union gunboats, going to be the U.S. Moose and the U.S.S. Allegheny Bell, also <laughs> begin moose firing Moose sounds shells. like something from Canada. I know. Probably was, probably. Probably, probably shooting maple syrup at <laughs> but but they're going to begin firing shells at Morgan's guys. Morgan, he was he was really stuck at this point. Really had nowhere to go. Okay, so he has to he has to split his guys up at this point. Yeah. His brother-in-law, you mentioned Basil Duke, and his brother John Morgan, they're going to get captured here along with about eight hundred of his men. Now Morgan himself is still kind of on the run at this point. But he was the plum Burnside wanted was Morgan, right? Well, what was left of his raiders basically headed towards another town, another fort, a place called Belleville. Yeah. And about 300 or so of Morgan's men actually made it across the river, right? While Morgan's getting right across the fort, okay, himself, some federal gunboats show up. And so seeing this, he's going to turn around and join his men who are still stuck on the Ohio side of the river instead of going across, Okay. Because he sees they're about to be cut off, and he wants—he doesn't want to leave his men behind, yeah. which is kind of a cool thing if you're—if you're a yeah. soldier, you see your guys doing this, right? So Morgan, at this point, he's kind of screwed. He'll spend the next couple of days trying to find a safe place to cross, and finally on July 26th, Morgan's going to kind of run out of luck here. He'll be about 40 miles southeast of Canton in the town of Saline, uh, Salineville. Yeah. All right. Morgan maybe had about 700 guys left, and they were just about out of gas. They're going to be getting chased. By about 2,500 men under the command of a guy named James Shackelford. Ironically, he was from where? Kentucky. Okay. Yep. So it all, all goes back now. Shackelford is going to attack Morgan and beat him pretty badly uh, with the Rebs taking over 350 casualties, which is about 50% of his remaining men he's going to lose, mostly captured admittedly. The battle is going to go about two hours until around 2 p.m. Morgan is going to basically at this point say, no, you know, no mas. He's going to surrender yep. to a fellow cavalryman of all people, a guy named Major George Rue with the 9th Kentucky near the town of West Point, Ohio. So they finally got him. But there's some controversy, though, because when he surrendered, the way he did, he surrendered to, a, I think, a captain instead. Yep. And they tried to make a case that it was not a legal surrender so they could he could either let be let go or oh there was God. some 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 loophole, but they, it didn't work. But, you know, it didn't it didn't work. But. Suffice it to say, John Hunt Morgan was now a guest of the state of Ohio is how it's going to turn yep. itself out, right? A lot of his guys were sent to camp, a place called Camp Morton in Indianapolis and eventually camp to Douglas. a military prison, Camp right. Douglas, as well as Camp Chase down in Columbus, right? So they're going to get sp- spread on. Now, Morgan and his officers, they didn't go to a military prison. General Burnside, along with Governor Todd, decided Morgan and his officers, 68 total guys, are all going to go to the Ohio Penitentiary instead of a POW camp. Figuring the treatment there probably is going to be better admittedly. Yeah. It probably will be, okay? Yeah, well, prison camps at, at this time in the Civil War are really starting to become, I mean, they always were brutal places, but this is when it really starts to turn, I think, and there's probably yeah. reports getting out there. I mean, there is there is an officer prison camp that in Ohio he could have been sent to, Johnson's Island, and that's where Isaac Trimble would have been held at this time yeah. that Morgan is captured. Uh, I think Island. Governor Todd wanted the celebrity in his jail, not a military jail, probably. That's probably what it oh, was. But totally, whatever, yeah. whatever, whatever the hell happens, he's going to go to that jail. He's going to be joined by his brother-in-law, Basil Duke, who's going to be who was surrendered at Buffington Island. He's going to go there as well. Now, upon the arrival of all, all 68 guys, including Morgan, they're going to be ordered to take a bath in a large barrel and their, their <laughs> facial hair was all shaved. I don't know what the hell that means, okay? But the hell? those long hair. 
those had long well, the big barrel, okay? A those long, long hair, hair in the Confederacy was considered, that's a symbol of status. There was a guy named Colonel Smith, who was a rebel officer with a big white beard down to his belt buckle, ZZ Top style. Oh they made God. him, sh- they shaved that off on him, okay? Imagine he was too thrilled about that's that. That's like, hey, that's horrible. <laughs> well, tell me about it, okay? Now, Morgan's cells, just explain the situation. Morgan's cells each were, they were all going to replace in their own cells, okay? Now, their wing was 400 feet long and 400 feet wide with a 400-foot ceiling. A 40-foot ceiling, rather, okay? Each, each, oh, it's a big, a big building. Each cell was three and a half feet wide and seven feet long. Okay, so not the biggest cells, but they had their own little cell block. But the guys were used to riding horses across the plains. This must have been hell, okay? It just must have been, right? These guys were screwed with constantly by the, by the, the, the guards, okay? The psychological torture was pretty bad. They were allowed to receive mail. But when they got the mail, you know what this, the guards did? They took the letters out and resailed them and gave them the empty letters. So they opened the mail as an empty letter. They did that oh constantly to these guys. So just, just imagine people, you know. But it didn't, but so Morgan, it didn't take long for him and his men to say, we need to get the hell out of here and try to just devise an escape, escape plan. It. So they discovered that below the floor was an air vent. Now a guy named Thomas uh, Thomas Hines, we mentioned before, okay? He's the guy who pretended to be a union man again, influenced in Indiana with, yeah. with the copperheads. He's gonna come up with a plan to dig through the floor and escape through an air tunnel. The idea that Hines got this from was from Les Miserables, from Victor Hugo's book that just wow. came out in 62. He read the book and said, hey, we can try this, okay? At first, Morgan laughed. He referred to Heinz as the Count of Monte Cristo, he called him. He heard about the plan. But he decided it was better than freaking here. So why don't we give it a shot, okay? Just like the, like a prison escape movie, this is exactly how this goes. Morgan's officers are going to steal knives from the kitchen, okay? And they're going to begin digging through the floors in their cells. This is on November 4th, 1863. I have the great this, okay. escape theme song playing in my head right now. Just keep it in your head. Everybody be happy, okay? The concrete was six inches thick, okay? And then once you got past that, it was another six inches of arched bricks, of layered bricks, okay? So that's how thick this thing was, okay? And they're going with knives. Now, they devised a code to keep the guards away. They had one knock, you know, meant stop digging ASAP and two, meant keep start digging again. This process went on for a while, as you can imagine. At some point, they needed a place to hide the dirt, because they were in, in the broken concrete. The, one guy remembered that in the prison yard, there was an old shovel just sitting there. And this is the, you know, it's typical, okay? So they came up with a plan where a guy named, a, a captain named Jake Bennett, okay, would put on a big long coat, walk near the shovel, and he's going to pretend to trip and fall on it. And while he lands, he's going to slide under his coat. Oops, look what I found. That he is brilliant. Back. Okay, but it works. They get the shovel back. They start starting to clean up the mess. Now, once the tunnel to the air duct was cut, it was decided that Morgan and six officers are going to make the escape, leaving the others behind. Now, the the, the guys they chose are going to be Morgan, Thomas Hines, a guy named Ralph Sheldon, Sam Taylor, L.D. Hawkersmith, Jacob Bennett, we mentioned with the shovel, and J.S. McGee. Those are going to be the guys who are going to escape, okay? The way this escape is going to go down it would happen after bedtime when each man was locked in his individual cell. Now, when the time came, each man would climb through the dug floor in that air chamber and put on clothes. It, they would take clothes and stick them in their bed. So like when your parents looking to see if you're there Friday night, they'd see yep. a big lump on Mary's bed thinking she was there. God, but that's so what they are they do. leaving in their feety pajamas? 
they probably, I don't know what the hell they're wearing, okay? <laughs> well, but they basically make like they're sleeping in there, okay? And so, you know, when you when you went out for your Labatt's runs on Friday nights, that's that's how your bed probably looked. But once they got out, they all, what they would do is they'd all separate, except Morgan and Hines would stay together. They would get to a train and they would get to Cincinnati. That was the plan, okay? There was one thing, that, there was one thing that was still undone. And they needed to find a place to scale the wall, okay? Now, so this is a big wall. They need to get on top of the wall to see where they can climb yeah. down to. They know what the hell is on the other side of the wall. They couldn't figure out a, a way to do it. And that was the important thing about it. And they, so one of the guys came up with an idea, which is kind of funny. A guy named Captain Samuel Taylor, okay? was He's one of the officers on the, on the, um, on the Confederates, on the Morgan's guys. He was small, but I guess he pretended he was really strong. Was he 5'4 so, or 5'2? Well, who, the, who the hell knows what he was? Probably <laughs> something like that. But he challenged one of the guards that he was stronger than him. I'm stronger than you. I'll prove it to you. He goes, I bet you I can climb up that wall with a rope with one hand. Like, you know, no way. Go ahead. So what does he do? He freaking does it. So he climbs up the rope with one hand. He's going to get up there. While he's up there, he's going to look over. He's going to see exactly where the place to land is and come down and tell the guys where to go. Wow. That's how they decide where <laughs> to go. Awesome. Right? So it's like, all right, so perfect. Okay. Morgan also found some civilian clothes and a train schedule. It was a place, the Little Miami Railroad, which is a, which is a train that passed not far from, from the, the, um, the jail that took him to Cincinnati. With everything set and ready to go, the plan, they were just about done on November 24th, 1863 for this thing. Ready, They're almost ready to go. They needed one more little bit of luck. In that prison yard, there were dogs, just dogs, okay? They needed the weather to rain because when it rained, the dogs went in the kennel and they yeah. weren't in the yard. And so um, they were hoping for rain. So luck was on Morgan's side. Because guess what happens the night of November 27th? It rains so, and it rains hard. So John Hunt Morgan at this point, he this is the night they're going to do it, okay? They're going to leave his brother, Dick Morgan, behind. The reason why they did that is because Dick looked a little bit like John and figured if this, he lied in his bed, they'd see him. They yeah. might think it's John. Who the hell knows? But that's probably why they did it, okay? So each of the seven escapees are gonna they're gonna load their beds full of those dummies made of clothes and they're gonna crawl through those holes on their floors into the air tunnel. And this was a fight or die situation. Morgan vowed he was never going back to jail again. This is it. I'm this I'm no matter I'm never coming back in this place again. All seven made it through the air tunnels into that prison yard where it rained and the dogs were asleep in the kennels. So far, so good. They made it to the outside wall and used that rope to scale the wall. And, but the, the one problem they had, though, was they had no way to get the rope off the wall when they left. They had to leave it. And yeah. so they knew that as soon as daylight came, they were going to see the rope and they were going to be looking for them. So they knew they had to move quick. Captain Hines, we mentioned before, these guys like to leave notes, calling cards, okay? He leaves a middle finger note in his cell <laughs> to the guards that, they, that he knew they would find the next morning when in there, okay? He wrote basically... What he wrote was a letter almost in real time, what they were doing. When, while you're reading this, here's what we're doing type thing. Okay. So, wow. so the, note said, the note says, by order of my six honorable Confederates, and he named each of the people I mentioned before, about one quarter of a mile from the prison at the local train depot of the Little Miami Railroad, Captain Hines and General Morgan purchased their tickets and boarded the train. A Union major offered Captain General Morgan a sip of French brandy as he passed the prison. The Union Major alluded to the fact that General Morgan was there for safekeeping. General Morgan replied, I hope they will keep him as safe as he is now. Wow. That's what the note said. Okay, God, so, this so, needs to be a movie. So it's just that the whole thing plays like that, right? 
Now, Morgans and Hines, you know, they did get on the train. And as a coach here likes to say, they were on to Cincinnati. Okay, that's what they were doing. Okay. Once they got near Dayton, though, something happened and it made them nervous. The train started to slow down. They didn't know why. Okay. So what they're going to do is they're going to get to a, sh- a place called Ludlow Ferry, which is on the Ohio River. And as the train slows, the two are literally going to jump off the train. And they're going to jump yep. a moving train. Okay. And they're going to find a local. They're going to pay a local to some to take them across the river in a small boat. Now, they're going to end up at the home of a place named Mrs. Ludlow. And they were served coffee and they were happy to be out of Ohio. I mean, I know the feeling. Morgan and, and, and Hines, they're going to stop a few times south. They're going to make it all the way to Dalton, Georgia. Okay. And out of the seven escapees, five got away. Only two got caught. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what's funny is when the news of his escape got out, his legend just exploded. Yeah. He went, he went from, you know, he turned into Elvis at this point. Yeah. Because the story of how he got out got around. One guy who didn't, you know, didn't share in the joy was Braxton Bragg, okay, who was pissed off. Because he's like, what is uh, he doing there? Well, he's mad that he, <laughs> he disobeyed the direct orders by crossing he's like, Ohio why River. is he in Ohio? Now, now, here's the thing, though. By the time this happens, Bragg, guess what he's doing? He's now a part of the War Department in Richmond because he, remember, he, he wasn't with he's them anymore. He's done. Yeah, because right? you have to remember this whole time, Chickamauga's happened, Chattanooga's happened. Bragg is done leading the army of Tennessee. Right. And so he's pissed off, but he can't do anything about it. He's no. just going to grumble and say, well, screw him. Right. Now, the impact of this, we'll just, we'll just put a thing on the raid real quick before we, before we go on to the next phase of this. But the impact of this raid was unbelievable. I mean, he's going to go on and capture and parole about 6,000 Union soldiers. Yep. He's going to destroy 34 bridges. He's going to he's going to steal thousands of dollars in cash and supplies. He'll disrupt railroads. He's going to spread absolute fear and mayhem throughout Indiana and Ohio. He's going to divert over 10,000 Union soldiers, like we said, that all, all the while that Vicksburg and Gettysburg are going on. He yeah. achieved every goal he set for himself by doing this. Just in Ohio alone, he stole 2,500 horses, destroyed 600,000 in property. The only group that caused more damage in Ohio you know, was the Chicago Cubs. If you think about it. Hey. Now, his raid does get overblown. Yeah, I know. Um, but many, you know, many feel it was, it, sl- it slowed the fall of Eastern Tennessee and prevented William Rosecrans and yeah. from being reinforced the Battle of Chickamauga. So it's, there's all these little, I mean, who knows? It, it, it does kind of take on its cult of personality of its own. Yeah. But but needless to say, I mean, he, he, was, he was somebody who, you know, he was someone who did a lot of things. Now, you know, he did some things later. You know, we, there was a battle of Cynthiana. He did. We're not going to yeah. get into too, too much of that, right? The one thing I do want to say, though, regarding his raid is from the Union perspective, you know, you have Burnside who is clearly prepared. You know, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. The Union is fighting back. They've heard of Morgan. They know who he is. They gave Morgan a run for his money in some ways because they are they're prepared. They, mm-hmm. they know he's there. They're, they're trying to predict where he's going. So I think in some way, like, they need to get some credit, too, because they fought back. And they knew. Well, they caught him. They, yeah, they, they, they him. were the ones that caught him. And, you know, in some ways, because of that, this the raid that Morgan did could have been doomed from the beginning. Because he's riding off that arrogance of that first raid. Right or that initial raid in 1862, he's riding off that like, well, it went well here, so 
presumably I can do something more. And that's where it starts to break off from the March to the Sea um, is, you know, Sherman does his Meridian campaign. It goes relatively well. And he says to Grant in 1864, well, we did it for Meridian. Can we try it on a larger scale? And it goes really well. There's a lot of similarities between Morgan and Sherman in what they do. Um, But it really starts to break away um, with Morgan's big raid and Sherman's March to the Sea. The March to the Sea is, like I mean, they're two different things, but still, they're doing very similar things as well. Well, there's no doubt. And, and so he does that, that small array that results in the Battle of Cynthia, we talked about. But at this point in the Rebel Army, Robert E. Lee and the, the Brass, they've had it up to here with Morgan. He's, for one, he's way too popular. He's yeah. way too much of a loose cannon. Oh, I can't he imagine Jeff orders. likes him very much. I mean, and so, you know, so you know what, you know how you handle a troublesome employee, Mary? You promote them. And guess what? That's what they did. Okay. And you give them like a desk earn, job. Well, it's how you earn your blizzard machine gig after you blew that deal with the drive through Same deal. Well, you know, that's, that's how true, you got right? it. Right? Yeah. No, I like the blizzard machine so, way better. It's a lot better than drive through deal with people. So Morgan gets quotation fingers promoted <laughs> to command of the, of the Department of Eastern Tennessee and Southwestern Virginia. Now, it's important why well, that he gets this in a second. So his ass is chained to a desk in the town of Abington, Virginia, okay? He basically spends his time, again, playing cards and drinking. Many of his former horsemen have all deserted. I mean, just, he's just sitting there, right? By late of 1864, though, the rebel army started to get stretched thin. Now, Vicksburg was, Vicksburg was gone. Yeah. Sherman was, was setting campfires in Atlanta at this point, okay? <laughs> Richmond, was, Richmond was under siege. Morgan learned that the military governor of Tennessee, Andrew Johnson of all people, how about yeah. that, Mary? That's who that was, okay? Oh. He's sending a union force to, to, the, to his Johnson's hometown of Greenville, Tennessee, okay? By happenstance, Greenville, Tennessee falls under Morgan's jurisdiction of Tennessee, Eastern Tennessee and Southwestern Virginia. So he feels he has the right now to get the old band back together again and go riding down there. So Morgan saw this as his chance to get down there. So he assembles a force in, while still in Virginia. And on September 3rd, he's going to head to Greenville to try to surprise the feds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's like, I got this. Morgan's going to ride into Greenville with 1500 guys. And in, when, where he was, you know, he was basically, when he got there, he was welcomed by the, by the, the locals. And he was told the feds are about 20 miles away. Okay. So he knew they were there, but then Morgan, he says, and I quote, they don't know I am here with the full division, and they are in for a big surprise. So he's going to go get him, right? He's going to stay at a place, a mansion owned by a secesh woman by the name of Catherine Williams, okay? She had two sons fighting in the Confederate Army, um, and he. this is this picture, this big house, you know, this big fancy place. Morgan, again, is is a rock star. This is Elvis, mm-hmm. okay? This is like, this is like El- Elvis coming over for dinner type thing, okay? Yeah. So she's going to prepare a big, huge, grand dinner for him. Okay. After dinner, okay, Morgan's going to hang around the town. He's going to be enjoying his celebrity status. He's riding around to check on his division. All this while with the understanding that the federal troops are about 20 miles away at a place called Bull's Gap, and they don't know he's there. And he's right to a point, okay? Morgan eventually is going to return to that mansion again, the Williams Mansion, where he's entertaining the ladies of the town with stories of, you know, he's being toasted with Tennessee whiskey. You can only imagine how this, this whole thing's wow. going, right? Now, here's how, here's how life gets you, though, okay? While he's doing this, his men are being dicks of the locals, okay? 
they hassle a local teenager, one of Morgan's guys, who is pissed off because one of Morgan's guys stole a bag of flour from him. So what does the kid do? He rides over to Bull's Gap to tell the Union commander, a guy named Alvin Gillum, hey, I don't know if you know this, but there's a whole shit ton of Rebs over here in Greenville. And he's did that because he stole a flower. So he goes to rat them out for it, okay? Oh the typical, t- t- it's funny what gets you, right? So, but it's dark and it's rainy. But Gillum, he says, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send about 500 men towards Greenville using the back roads to go check this out. I'm gonna send guys over there. Now, back at the, man, at the Williams mansion, the party's rolling on with Morgan continuing to drink and tell stories of the locals who hung on every word he said. And you, can, you, just, you just see how this thing's going. Finally, around, around midnight, um, which I imagine was probably a full call me maybe situation at that point, right? <laughs> Morgan's going to call it a night and he's going to go to bed, okay? In his feety pajamas. He's going to put on his feety pajamas and he's going to sleep in an upstairs room, okay? <laughs> now, while he's sleeping, the union men are going to be advancing through the mud in that pouring rain towards Greenville. Now, right around dawn, another local guy, he's going to ride into the approaching line with news, that John Hunt Morgan and 1,500 raiders are positioned around the town. And they're, they're, be careful, you're going into a trap here. This is Morgan's guys. And then he had more important news. Oh, by the way, Morgan's in that house. He's like, oh, okay. So Gillum hearing the news, he's, you know, they, they're hearing everything about this guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. He's a, he's a big superstar in the South. Gillum, he hears the news that Morgan's Raiders are out there in, in this cult of personality, and he knows he's got a chance to bag him. And this is his cl- claim to fame. Yep. He's going to send two cavalry companies forward under Captain C.C. Wilcox and S.E. Northington. They go by their middle initials, Mary. Okay, into the town to try to capture Morgan and bring out bring him out dead or alive. They go go get him. Okay. About this time, the last thing Morgan's men on picket duty expected was to run into Union troops. I mean, it's rainy. They, they don't think they're there. Many are sleeping. They're trying to stay dry in the rain. The Union troopers are basically going to walk right into them and capture half of them. With a, a lot of them are sleeping, okay? There is going to be some shots fired back and forth, okay? It, enough to wake up Morgan back in the house. He's going to wake up hearing gunshots in the distance. He's going to jump up after hearing these shots. He'll jump out of bed. All he's wearing is a nightshirt and slippers. That's all he's wearing. Okay. <laughs> Maybe one of those ones that know, that's open in the back. You have to tie. Who knows? But that's what oh he's wearing. Okay? <laughs> Mrs. Williams, the, the, the lady of the house, she hears it too. And she wakes up and she yells to Morgan. They are everywhere. Oh, they're onto you, General. Hide quick. Okay. All of Morgan's officers are outside and many are already, they're already capped. Most of them are already captured. Williams pointed towards a place called the St. James Episcopal Church next door is a place for Morgan to go hide. So he goes, go hide in the basements and, you know, just go, go out there and go hide in the church basement. That's, that's the place to go. Now, once inside, okay, the Union troops enter the building. He hears the footsteps right above him. So he's like, this, wow. is, this is not good. So he's going to stay in there. He realizes he can't. So he sneaks out into Mrs. Williams' garden, which is next to the house. And mm. he's trying, he's sneaking, just picture him there. He's got an overcoat on, but he's got his jammies and he's got the slippers jammies. on, okay? Now, <laughs> okay, now one, um, there he's going to find one of his aides, a guy, Captain Rogers, okay? And he tells Morgan, hey, we're, you know, General, we're surrounded. There is no chance of our escaping. 
Morgan's going to is thinking back to his Ohio jail experience. And he's going to say he has no desire. He says to Rogers, the Yankees will never take me prisoner again. Okay. Morgan tries to sneak out. And once he's in the garden, some, some union guy yells, I see him. There he goes. Okay. So a man on horse is going to ride up to him. He's going to gallop up. He's wearing a brown jacket instead of a union uniform. So Morgan and Rogers take him for a Confederate. Okay. Well, it was not a, it, it, it was not a rebel. Okay. Guess who it was? Andrew Campbell. Remember yeah. him? Yep. That's the guy. He orders them to surrender. So this is like an action movie. Okay. Andrew Campbell, he was that rebel at the wedding who grumbled yep. about the cake and the whiskey. Okay. He was a guy who basically said, you know, uh, if I ever meet Morgan, I will salute him or by God, shake his hand. Okay. Campbell, since that night, he deserted and joined the Union Army. Oh, my God. Okay. And he kept the brown jacket he used as a red because he liked the jacket. Campbell's going to raise raise his pistol and demand his surrender. R- Rogers, yep, you come here, you know. Morgan says no, and he turns to run, okay. And Campbell yells, stop. And when he didn't, he fires a single shot, gets Morgan right in the spine. Morgan fell face first in the mud. His last words were, oh, God, oh, God. Okay. Now it's debated whether or not Campbell knew he had shot Morgan. Yeah. He was just some random guy, but you can't deny the irony of Campbell being the guy who shot him. Yeah. Well, this is, it's the same as Jeb Stewart, right? Like John Huff, knowing who shot Jeb Stewart. Well, just just right, but just going back to the yeah, beginning that, when he, yeah, was, that story. he was at the wedding. Yeah. It just, it's, just, it's just funny how yeah. it is. Now, Morgan's going to die basically instantly. You know, when, when all he's going to have on in his body is he's going to have the slippers, the, the pajama nightshirt, mm. and the jacket. That, he's going to be shot in the back wearing his pajamas wow. and forged. That, that, that's, that's the reality, okay? Wow. Um, Morgan's going to die pretty much instantly, and a crowd is going to gather around the body. Captain Wilcox is going to is going to basically um, order one of Morgan's captured staff, a guy named Captain Henry Clay, the son of the Henry Clay. Wow. There you go, yeah. more more connections to turn Morgan's body over. Seeing who it was, Clay says to Wilcox, "You have just killed the best man in the Confederacy." Okay, the Union men now realizing that they've killed the famous John Hunt Morgan, they cheered as his body was put on a horse and laid through the lines back to William's mansion. Okay, they put him on a horse and laid him out. And there, um, Mrs. Williams, I mean, she was absolutely heartbroken. She cleaned up the body. She put his body in like a spotless Confederate uniform. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Union guys, to their credit, when they moved the body out again, they set up an honor guard and they raised their sabers to him on their way out. Um, And they returned the body to Abington, where where a now pregnant wife, Maddie, is waiting for him. Okay. Now, Andrew Campbell, okay, the man who shot him was promoted to sergeant and then lieutenant for his actions. Okay. When William T. Sherman, you've heard of him, yep. heard of Morgan's death, he responded one word. You know what he said? Good. That's what he said. <laughs> That's so <laughs> you know? Jesus. But, you know? Good. <laughs> but the, as you can imagine, in the South, the South was devastated by this, yeah. right? Um, I mean, they, they rose him to an almost immortal level. When they heard he was shot in the back, they were outraged, okay? Rumors in the South that he was naked and dragged through the mud. I mean, it was all false, but they all made the rounds. Yeah. I mean, they, they just got him going. Morgan's body eventually is going to be taken to Richmond, where it's going to be laid out in the Confederate House of Representatives, and then sent to Lexington, Kentucky, for his, for his burial. Now, um, John R. Morgan's legacy really really has grown from there, believe it or not, yep. in part due to that lost cause movement, fortunately, right? 
1888, Morgan's daughter, Johnny, okay, the last known descendant, she's going to pass away. You know, Maddie had died the previous year. And, you know, the story that proved the the story proved to be wrong is it was was there because it was discovered. You kind of hinted at it earlier that he did father a child from a slave. Yeah. Okay. And this is Garrett Augustus Morgan, right? Now, it's ironic that, you know, this this Garrett would, would have been probably half black, half white, realistically, right? This this Garrett, uh, the son of a rebel commander, he is going to be he's going to be an early leader of the NAACP. Yeah, he is. right. He's believed to be the first African American man to own a car. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the hell they would know wow. that. Garrett goes on to be a scientist, and he's credited for inventing the smoke mask that saved millions of firemen's lives. You know. He's also the man, believe it or not, for inventing the three-color traffic lights. Yep. Okay. Ironically, guess who invents of that in Cleveland? Oh my God. <laughs> okay. But but so the, the legacy of John Hunt Morgan is something that you you could you could not write this story if you made a movie about his life, about his upbringing, his raid, his escape, his his death. You wouldn't believe it, but it's all a hundred percent true. This is a guy who lived the absolute life of a cavalier, yep. and it's kind of ironic that um, that his son would have put the the yellow and the red and the green light thing, because I think yeah. his light probably wouldn't wouldn't have had the red based on his history. Oh, you know, yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know, but he but he's a he's a fascinating study. He is. And, and as we look as we look at the cavaliers we've talked about, Jeb Stewart and the, the War Child, Wheeler, and those guys. Kilpatrick. Like... Kilpatrick. This guy's the top of the list. Because not only because he he embraced his role, he did his job, but he did it in a way where he was still maintain that sort of quasi chivalrous attitude of rep- yeah the parole southern of his union guys the southern gentleman he you know he doesn't have that he's not the diva that Jeb Stewart was I mean Jeb Stewart I mean sorry Jeb Stewart fans he's a diva he's got that feather in his hat he's I, I don't know. There's something very different about Morgan where he's just this one that I think the people of the South could relate to a lot more than they could Jeb Stewart. Mm-hmm. Well, he was someone, he was one of them. I mean, yeah. he didn't come from aristocracy. He was a, he was a guy who just, you know, he did come from money primarily from his grandparents. Yeah. From, and John yeah and his, his mother helped him out, but he, you know, he's like, he's a hemp farmer. And fortunately he's also a slave trader, which is horrible, but you know, Oh, we're not, we're not going to wax poetic. Make no. The greatest thing. Well, all we're saying, all we're saying is, this is a guy who, who you know, he knew he was famous. He embraced it to a point, but he, I don't want to say he didn't let it get to his head, because of course it did. But, I, but I look at the way he treated his men and treated his cap, the captured men, of how he did it. Yeah. And I love the fact that he was almost like a villain in a Batman movie. He told you what he was going to do. He did it, and then when he did, he left his calling card. He gave you the finger on the way out, and he laughed as he did it. Yeah, he, it was a it was a big game to him, and that's how he did it. He, he just he yeah. looked at it as a big game. He he died the way he lived. There's no he question did. he did. It's kind of a shame he got caught in his, in his killed in his PJs and his I know. pajamas. I know. Ironically, by a guy who deserted the Confederacy who guarded his wedding for him. Yeah. So it's just one. It's just one of those things. There is there are few people in the Civil War or any war, but especially the Civil War, who are more colorful than John Hunt Morgan. Oh, he's very colorful. And, and if you if you want to study somebody and you shake your head at just the balls, 
study him, yep. study him because he's somebody that a lot of people I think could really appreciate and relate to in context of this war compared to some of the other ones like the Nathan Bedford Forrest of the world who were definitely on the darker side of this stuff. Oh, definitely. And he's that. And, and Morgan's somebody I think a lot of people can can read and, and just and just enjoy. Yeah. So I enjoy studying him. He's always been one of my favorites. There's no question. I've always enjoyed John Howard. I enjoyed it too. And and going into this, I I didn't know a lot about Morgan, but I instantly started to see a lot of parallels with Sherman, um, with the Meridian campaign. You know, Morgan's initial 1862 raid is very much like Sherman's Meridian campaign. That's how Sherman gets ready for the March to the Sea. You know, it's kind of a small scale thing, and then you have them doing their bigger thing. But that's when they kind of diverge away from each other. Sherman's March to the Sea is very successful, you know, with what he wants to do with it. Morgan's big raid, not as much, right? Because the Union knows who he is. They're prepared for him. But, you know, there's a lot of parallels, I thought. And I didn't think that going into it. I didn't think I would find a lot of parallels with a a cavalry guy like John Hunt Morgan and General William T. Sherman on the Union side. But one guy's from Ohio, one guy, one guy tormented Ohio. Exactly. So, yeah, no, there is know, that so. too. But I, I did see that um, in how they were doing things. And you've got to wonder if somehow one was inspired, like, I don't know if one was somehow reading what the other was doing and thinking, let's do this and try it. If they were reading the papers and, and doing that, or if they're doing it parallel to each other without knowing what the other was doing. It's tough. It's tough to say. Yeah. It's tough to say. But he, he certainly sung. Suffice it to say, John Hunt Morgan is a colorful character, and one that I think a lot of people can uh, can definitely enjoy. So I think we can drop him off there. I think, I think so. we, we've done him some justice today. He's somebody yeah. who I don't think people know who he is. I don't think a lot of people um, really get into him. You think Southern Cavalry, of course. You think Stewart. You think Forrest. You think guys like that. But in my in my book, Morgan Morgan's the top of the list because he's just somebody who um yeah. who just exudes balls. He oh, just, he does. He, just, he, he does. He mean, just, he's like, what else he can I does. do? I did this before. Does. What can I do to make? And you know what else he better? does? He's, he, he spikes the ball. And that's what's he great does. too. Is he spikes the ball. Yep. And he has a lot of fun doing it. It's, it's just, it's just, it was just a big game to him. Yep. So anyway, so what's coming up for us? What's next for us? So next we are doing Tullahoma. Probably a couple episodes in Tullahoma. Um, our book club, we will be hopefully announcing the date for that soon. That is Kent Masterson's Brown um meet at gettysburg is our next book that we're reading so hopefully we will be announcing the date for that soon (laughs) there's funko mary again (laughs) for our youtube or watchers but yeah and we will be doing a facebook live for this episode obviously not on saturday so if you're listening on saturday no facebook live we will be doing it early in the week so probably monday night seven o'clock we will be doing a facebook live i was told monday i just said monday you said early in the week i said probably monday night Yes, I do as I'm told. Yep. Anyway, so that'll be <laughs> fun. So probably Monday night, just in case something happens and one of us can't. <laughs> so, oh, I know. We'll be okay. Monday yeah. sounds like a yeah. Night, Monday so. night will so, be so. our next Facebook Live. So anyway, thank you everybody for listening to episode 87. Thank you to you, Darren, for being the awesome host that you are and uh, person to work with on this. You are the best. We have to remember the team, Mary. You know that is me and old Funko Mary holding together over here. It's all matters. Yeah. And uh, so we'll look forward to the live. Look forward to doing Tullahoma next week, Mary. We'll look forward to doing that. Yeah. And your post Canadian adventures. Canada and it's coming next week. Yep. International Man of Mystery. So we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll have plenty of fun stories to talk about that. Yeah, so any sure final we'll... words from 
from you, Fincher. It was made well, off into the great wild blue yonder. As I said, thank you to everybody. Thank you to you for being awesome. And uh, yeah, we are going to be in Canada. Well, obviously, I'm going to be in Canada. Darren's coming up to see me in Canada this weekend. So um, stay tuned for our adventures on our podcast accounts on social media for that. We'll have a lot of fun with that. So yeah. anyway, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We look forward to talking to you all. Mary, we will talk to you soon. Everybody have a great weekend. Hope it's cool where you are. Hopefully the weather is nice. You're enjoying some good summer weather finally after this winter we all just had. So off we go. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. As we like to say, Mary, the pleasure as always was all yours. And we are off and we will see you on the other side. Bye, guys. See ya. Peace out. Do, 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 do.